Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Schechter. Paper Moon, The Sting, American Hustle, The Grifters, House of Games, The Matchstick Men. Just a few of the movies we love about con men and hustlers. Yet in real life, we don't love the likes of Bernie Madoff or Barry Minko or Stephen Kunis or Charles Ponzi. So why the disconnect? Why do we feel joy in being taken by them in movies, but not so much by the real thing? The answer may very well lie in what a con man does and the way he or she does it, how they appear and how they try and manipulate us. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Maria Konnikova. Maria's articles have appeared online and in print in The New Yorker, The Atlantic, The New York Times, Slate, and The Paris Review. She blogs regularly for The New Yorker and formerly wrote the literally psyched column for Scientific America. She's a magna cum laude graduate of Harvard and received her Ph.D. from Columbia. It is my pleasure to welcome Maria Konnikova here to talk about the confidence game, why we fall for it every time. Maria, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. It's great to have you here. Do we fall for it every time? I think that all of us are potential victims. That's one of the key things that I learned um, in researching the book. So every single one of us is someone who will fall for it, who can fall for it. We might be lucky in that we never get con because no one ever targets us. But if we do get targeted, there is one con out there for which we will fall, even if we fall for none other. I think it's something very universal about human nature that makes us susceptible to con artists. What is this disconnect between loving con artists, certainly when we see them in, in movies or we read about them, there's certain fascination. We, we, we're just mm-hmm. intrigued by it. And yet when we look at them in real life and the real life examples, we're, we're repulsed by it in many ways. Well, I don't actually think that we're repulsed by it in real life. Um, unless it happened to us. I think a lot of people who never were victims or don't realize they've been victims glamorize it in real life too and blame the victims. They say, oh, well, the people who fell for Bernie Madoff deserved it because, of course, those returns were too good to be true. So we really have this culture of victim blaming when it comes to con artists. I think that the reason they're so glamorized and so easy to glamorize is that they really raise crime to a new level because they're not criminals in the sense of the of kind of down and dirty crime they're artists they actually get you to trust them and to give them your confidence your money your respect your love your admiration whatever it is that they're after and you give it to them willingly and there are fine skills that are involved in that and we see that and you kind of have this grudging admiration you say wow you know that that's actually wonderful it's almost like a magician and we love all of us love magicians and we also have this feeling of invulnerability we think well there's no way it could happen to me and because we're so removed from it because we don't think it can fall um, it can happen to us we feel free to glamorize it I think it's some of the same reasons why people tend to glamorize members of the mob even though those do commit violent violent crime because we are removed enough that we don't think it will ever affect our own lives there's something in the con, too, that we want to believe. I mean, the, 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 the really good con artists will always come up with a kernel, a nugget, that is something that we just inherently want to believe in. That's absolutely true. I think there's a really 
universal human need for meaning. We all want to believe. We want to be hopeful. We want to live in a world where things mean something, where there's certainty, where, where things happen for a reason. And that is what con artists sell us. They profile us. They figure out what is the thing that you want to believe is true. And then that's the story that they sell us. And what ends up happening is we stop asking questions because when it's something that we want to believe, we're much less skeptical than when it's something that we don't want to be true. And that is our downfall. When we want to believe in something, our skepticism our red flag alert or our red flag meter goes out the window because, oh, of course this is true. This is exactly what I thought was true all along. What about the underlying idea, the underlying kind of intellectual idea that if it's too good to be true, it probably is? Well, we're very, very good at understanding that idea when it comes to other people. So if something happens to your neighbor or to your friend or to your colleague at work, you will say, huh, that seems like you're being taken in. That's definitely too good to be true. You know, I can't believe you're falling for this. And we often will give them advice. We'll say, hey, um, you know what, I, I think that this is a little bit, there's something off here. Your friend is not going to take that advice because here's the disconnect. When it's happening to us, we never think that it's too good to be true. We think that it's perfect because it's us. So it's not too good. That too good goes out the window. Instead, it's exactly what we deserve and the thing that we had coming to us. No one asks questions when things are going well. So let's, let's go back to Bernie Madoff again. If you look at the people who were actually victims of his Ponzi scheme, I bet not a single one of them would have said these returns are too good to be true. They say, yeah, these are really, really good returns, but I picked a really, really good investor because I know what I'm doing. So, of course, he's making a lot of money for him. That's why I chose him. And so that's the kind of rationalization that gets us into trouble. The other interesting thing is the degree to which the the education component, the smarts component, doesn't really seem to enter into it. And Madoff, of course, is a good example of that. Absolutely. In fact, being well-educated and being smart makes us more likely to be victims of a whole range of cons. What you start to realize is that it's not at all protective. It makes you a more attractive target, and it also makes you more likely to be overconfident because with education comes confidence. You think, hey, I know better. I'm good. I know exactly what I'm doing. And so what ends up happening is that when a con artist comes up, approaches us, starts weaving his tail. We don't see it because we don't think that it could happen. We are too confident in our ability to spot the scam, and so we end up being its primary victims. And let's talk a little bit about it from the other side, from the side of the con artist and what you talk about in the confidence game are some of the consistent traits in con men that address all these things we've been talking about. So one of the things that a lot of con artists have are some of the dark triad of traits. They don't have to have all three of them, but they certainly will have 
at least one of them. The first, which is the least common actually, is psychopathy. Um, that's a lack of empathy. Um, you don't experience emotions the same way that other people do. And so you basically can justify a lot of what you do because you don't feel any guilt or remorse. To you, the victims aren't victims. They're just, you know, cold, rational targets. And if you think about it, even the name for victim that con artists use, Mark, it's like they're a target. It's not like they're human at all. And that, I think, a lot of con artists will use that sort of cold and calculated rationality in order to justify taking advantage of people because they don't actually see what they're doing as emotionally bad. The second part of the dark triad is narcissism, and that is your overblown ego and a sense of entitlement that comes from it. That means that you will take things from others because you think that you deserve them more. And you really think this. So, for instance, one of the con artists that I profile loved to steal PhDs, medical degrees, law degrees, all sorts of degrees because he thought that he was smarter than people who had actually worked for them. So he thought, why would I ever go to school? Why do I need to study? I'm already smarter than a PhD. Let me just take it because I'm entitled to it. So that's narcissism, and it also is a very strong way that people rationalize what they do. And the final part of the triad is Machiavellianism, and those are the soft skills of persuasion that we've been talking about. How do I get you to do what I want you to do, but in a way that you don't see it coming, that you actually think that you are the one who wants to do that, that you are the orchestrator of this, that it's your idea, that it's your own volition, because we don't like to feel manipulated. And so if we do feel manipulated, we're not going to do it. Con artists excel at making us think we're doing things on our own, of our own free will. And that's the last thing that really sets many of them apart from other people. It's interesting that, that those skills are also skills of legitimate, really good salespeople or even of politicians. Absolutely. And I think we do well to realize that it's a really blurry line between a lot of legitimate professions and con artists. Because yes, those skills are used in a lot of legitimate worlds. And by the way, when people study the dark triad, they find that it's overrepresented in a lot of other professions. Business, law, advertising, marketing, politics, you see that dark triad pop up over and over. And so it's a matter of degree and it's a matter of intention. I don't think we can call everyone in those professions con artists because then that term would be meaningless. And so where I draw the line is, is your intention basically good or bad? That's, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But are you deceiving people knowingly? Are you doing it for your own ends? Or do you really kind of believe in what you're doing? And you're just using these tools as part of your toolbox for, for doing your profession? Of course, the other side of that is kind of the Robin Hood side and the way many of these con artists will delude themselves into thinking that they're doing good. Absolutely. I think they are incredibly good at rationalizing what they're doing. And almost no one will say, oh, yeah, I'm a con artist. I'm a bad person. Most of them will say, I'm a really good person. And I'm, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing good things. They are so good at deluding themselves and at convincing themselves that they're not doing anything wrong. And that's how they're able to do this for years and years and years. Otherwise, I don't think they'd be able to carry on the kind of the guilt of it would be too much, but they don't feel guilty because they think that it's justified. 
Talk a little bit about the way people can arm themselves from not being such easy marks. Is there anything that people can do by being more open, really counter to what we've been talking about, and realizing that, yes, they are vulnerable? Absolutely. I think that that's a really great way of looking at it. I think giving yourself permission to be vulnerable, to be human, will in a way be much more helpful than trying to be skeptical and cynical because even skepticism is not going to help you. But knowing that you're susceptible might actually be a way that you can arm yourself preemptively because if you know you're a possible victim, then you won't dismiss everything that victimizes you as not applying to you. So you might actually learn something. You might actually derive lessons from what other people have gone through. And I think that that is a very good strategy for for making yourself not immune, but for making yourself I think a little bit better prepared to deal with it when it does happen because maybe then you will see some red flags. Maybe you'll be able to extricate yourself before it's too late. Maybe not. And if not, that's okay. And knowing that that's okay, I think is a very powerful and empowering thing. Have cons gotten more sophisticated or is there something inherently powerful in the simplicity of them? I think that there's something inherently powerful in the, in the simplicity of it. I think that the basic con has remained unchanged from basically the dawn of humanity. I think con artists have existed as long as humans have existed. As long as there were two people, one person could be fooled. And what I think has changed is the guise. So sure, it might look more sophisticated because the technology grows more sophisticated, but the story never changes. So the 419 scams, the Nigerian prince scams that we see in our mailboxes, in our email, well, that's just the Spanish prisoner, which has been around for at least 500 years, probably longer. Just our first historical record of it is from about 500 years ago. That's the exact same setup, the exact same story. Oh, there's a very wealthy prisoner. He needs your help getting out of jail. And if, if you're able to help him, if you give just a little bit of money, then he'll share his fortune with you. It's the exact same story. And the, all that changes is, is the outlines. I think that there's something very, very basic in that meaning, that hope that con artists supply us with. Do victims of con artists have to be desperate in some way? Absolutely not. I think that that's another very common misperception. Mm -hmm. I will say that people become more vulnerable when they're in emotionally vulnerable points in their lives, when there's a lot of life change going on. You know, you might be going through a divorce, you might have lost your job, you might have gotten a new job and moved, so it could be positive. But when things around you are changing, you become more vulnerable to cons. But it's not desperation. That's just the need for meaning becoming amplified because everything else is uncertain. So you want that certainty back and that's what con artists are giving you. But you have people who are totally stable, nothing has changed, they're very happy, there's no desperation there, and they fall for they fall for con artists as well. So it's I think that that quest for meaning is much deeper um, than than just desperation. And how does it break down along gender lines? Are women or men more susceptible? And, you know, we know there are certainly more con artists that we read about and hear about that are men, but are there women that are successful at it too? 
Oh, absolutely. So in terms of victimhood, there's no gender difference that we know of. So everyone is equally susceptible. Um, in terms of who the con artists are, you're absolutely right. We have no good statistics. So we don't actually know, um, you know, if there are more men or more women because most cons never get reported. And in my book, I actually try to focus on many female con artists because I want to dispel the myth, which I, th- I think is very harmful that con artists are con men. Um, there are very good con artists who are con women. And if we just see it in terms of a man, we're going to miss half of the potential con artists coming our way. Has technology increased the opportunities for con artists? Absolutely. Technology has made conning a lot more uh, simple. So Frank Abagnale, who people would probably be familiar with from the movie Catch Me If You Can, mm-hmm. um, he was interviewed and asked, you know, could you do what you did um, now that there's such sophisticated technology? And he laughed. He said, you know, it would be so much easier because technology is just a gold mine for con artists. We leave so much information about ourselves online that it becomes so easy to profile us. And on the flip side, it becomes much easier to craft very persuasive identities because we trust social media. We we think that if someone has a Facebook profile on Twitter and they're on Instagram and this and that, that they're legit. And so I, I profile one con artist in the book who even created fake Wikipedia entries and edited Wikipedia entries to place himself and his family lineage, which was completely made up, into it. And it was a while before editors caught that as fake, but it lends an air of credibility to him that wouldn't otherwise exist. So technology absolutely has made it both easier to profile victims and to impersonate other people. And finally, the thing that is always so amazing about con artists is that you think about the skills that they exhibit, and if they use those skills in legitimate ways, all that they might might accomplish. Absolutely. I think a lot of them could have been incredibly successful in legitimate walks of life. I mean, they're very smart, and what they do isn't easy. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of energy. And a lot of them, I think, could have been really successful at legitimate enterprises. I think they don't want to go straight. They really enjoy the thrill that comes from being a con artist. One of the people I write about, Ferdinand Waldo Damara, was offered many opportunities to go straight, and he never took them. He ended up turning to impostering every single time. I think there was just something about it that was irresistible. Maria Konnikova, the book is The Confidence Game, Why We Fall for It Every Time. Maria, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It was a pleasure. Thank you.